If there's one thing we know about Hampton Roads, it's that we're an amazing area with a lot of different cities and counties. But if I'm keeping it real, we've got a bit of an identity crisis. Are we Coastal Virginia? Are we 757? Tidewater? Or is it our favorite Hampton Roads? Either way, we are very connected by way of bridges and tunnels. But how well are we actually connecting on a community level? How often are we sharing our success stories and shining a light on our communities? When was the last time you met someone and really connected to what they're doing? It's okay if your answer is, I can't remember. That's why we're here. I'm Stephen Abbott. And I'm Kara Mims. We're both realtors with Abbott Realty who love to serve our community. We're here to keep it real and share all things 757. From real estate to community and everything in between. Let's get connected, Hampton Roads. Well, hey, listeners, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, we're excited to feature The Up Center. The Up Center is a Hampton Roads nonprofit helping families in the space of foster care, therapeutic services, and more. And with us today, we have Sabrina Carr. She's the outreach coordinator for The Up Center and has been with the organization for over three years. Sabrina has worked in the field of community outreach since 2003. Her passion for people and the community has taken her from the Virginia General Assembly as a legislative assistant to local government, for-profit organizations, and the nonprofit sector. She's trained and certified as a group facilitator. In her spare time, she writes a blog called The Car Confessions. I love that. Great title. (laughs) And she spends quality time with her husband and her daughter. Welcome, Sabrina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. So, Sabrina, this podcast is all about community and connection and really shining a light on the best parts of Hampton Roads. So um, we do a little bit that's focused around the area itself, why we love it, what we love about it, and then, of course, how your organization makes our community greater. So let's start out with some icebreaker questions, have a little fun, (laughs) loosen up. Uh, So I'll start with asking about home. So where's home originally for you? So home is the Hampton Roads area. I grew up in Hampton. Um, and have lived in a few cities in the Hampton Roads area. So Hampton Roads is my home. Which one is your favorite? Ooh. (laughs) Gosh, I don't have favorites. Oh, come on. I mean, if I had to have one, I would have to say Hampton because that's where I was born and raised. So graduated from high school there. So Hampton's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And, you know, if, if you were to say that there's a hidden treasure in Hampton or in Hampton Roads in general, uh, kind of a local hotspot that you just love and think is, again, that hidden treasure, what would it be? There's a bunch of like hidden gems and hidden treasures in this area. So it's hard to pick one. Um, So I'll kind of like group it all together. I would say uh, the beaches in this area, Um, just the sand, the waves, the water, all that good stuff. And I think sometimes the folks that either have been here for a long time or grew up here, we kind of take it for granted. Um, but I just love that we have all of that surrounded by us. Very good. I think uh, being a Hampton native, uh, certainly Buckrow Beach is probably on that Absolutely. list. Absolutely. Buckrow <laughs> continues to shine. I don't know if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, yeah. but a fan favorite seems to be Buckrow Beach. It is. It truly is a hidden treasure. Well, I was going to say, I think it's because it reiterates, like that's one of the things that's indicative of this area. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned Buckrow Beach, but we you know, have Yorktown Beach and Huntington yeah. and I mean, that's a huge part of who the we are. The beach is great. The, the beaches are where it's at. Around. It yeah. is. <laughs> cool. Love it. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. 
Now, to get a little serious, tell me about a favorite quote for you, something that really inspires you. Oh, my gosh. Um, my favorite quote? Or favorites. You can have multiple. <sighs> oh, my gosh. I'll probably use, and he's probably going to like, like, what? So I'm going to use my husband. So he, he tells me on a regular basis, I don't know if that's more for him or for me. He's like, don't take yourself so seriously. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we um, all do that. I yeah. know. When I met him, I was like very serious and, you know. And so now I just try to find all the things to laugh at. So there's always something to laugh at in the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue because one of our other questions is, tell us about something that really just gets you laughing, gets you in stitches. Probably other people laughing. Yeah. I'm one of those people you, that if I contagious. see someone, yeah, yeah, especially like that hardcore like belly laugh. From the soul. I may not even know what you're laughing at, but I'm going <laughs> to laugh with you and figure it out later. Right. Um, I just love, I love the sound of laughing um, and usually sort of what it comes from. There's usually something mm -hmm. funny, something light going on. Um, I just like to laugh. Sounds like maybe your husband helps do that for you. Uh, yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Encourages you to keep it light a little bit. Yes, which is good. That's good. <laughs> That's that balancing act we were talking about earlier. It is. And I need that, especially, you know, with things I do. Sometimes things can be heavy and you need to find that moment to laugh. And yeah, like I said, there's always something to laugh at. That's good. Is he a native as well? He is not. Okay. So. Uh, he's a transport uh, by way of the military, uh, but he's from Texas. From Texas. Yeah. How long has he been in Hampton Roads? Oh, gosh, as long as I've known him. So probably since like 96, 97. So, so this is home now. He has a Virginia driver's license. So you know. <laughs> well, please thank him for his service. I will. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for doing some fun icebreakers. Um, <laughs> this is the point in the program where I get to kick it over to Kara, and she's going to dig deep on the up center with you. I hope you're ready. Uh, Y'all will have some fun. I was say you make it seem super deep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna have a good time and we're gonna learn a lot about you know this organization and what you guys do. So yeah. let's start there. Um, so maybe tell our listeners a little bit more about the Up Center, the mission and purpose, um, your role with the organization, and how you know how the organization um, connects with the community. Sure. So as an agency, we partner with children, families, and the community um, in the areas of prevention, support, and intervention. Um, we do this over 20-plus programs that we provide regionally. Uh, we provide, obviously, our foster care and adoptions program, but also providing some mental health services. Um, we work with uh, a mentoring group. Uh, we also provide some uh, services and programs for our military and their dependents, as well as veterans as well. So um, all different types of things to be able to provide those sort of three categories of programs in the area. Okay. And your role in that is, what do, so, what do you do? As yeah. So I'm the, by title, outreach coordinator for our foster care and adoptions program. And so really what that means is I am sort of boots on the ground for our foster care program, really finding, recruiting uh, potential foster parents, foster families, and really bringing awareness to the community about the need for foster families and how folks can support that. Yeah, and with your work experience, I'm sure that that helps a lot. It does. I love role. being out in the community and just sort of engaging people, having conversations. Yeah. Um, obviously, I love wearing my T-shirt. And, <laughs> you know, so people ask me questions. I get tapped on the shoulder all the time. But um, just really talking about, you know, what that need is and sort of bridging that gap. Um, sometimes I like to call myself sort of a conduit mm -hmm. um, and helping people um, find the way to fill in the gaps um, that are in our community. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Those conduits are necessary, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
So I uh, raised my hand. The <laughs> listeners can't see it. I love it. Yes, <laughs> right. And I'm just wondering, like, I, you know, you you referenced your support of the military community, which is a big thing for us. Um, how we've had uh, past organizations on that describe themselves as a public-private partnership. Mm-hmm. Would you describe the Up Center in the same manner? How do you get connected to those military families to provide them support? How do you get connected to families locally in general? Sure. So the arm of the Up Center that works with our military families is the Stephen, a., uh, Stephen Cohen Clinic. Um, that is a um, national program. And so the Up Center um, – was uh, a recipient of really having an arm of that. We saw that as a need in the community. Um, And so they have their own separate programming, own separate staff um, to really work through and sort of do outreach. They're at all types of events. They're connected to the military in a variety of ways. So um, there's a way, again, they even have an outreach person that is boots on the ground to find those folks to be able to uh, get those services and programs to them. So they're the conduit for you guys. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a great collaboration. All the Thanks different. for. I was just curious. Sure, yeah. Like the, and bring it on, Steve. That's why we have this this podcast, right? Yeah. I mean, knowing how it comes together, I think mm-hmm. that we can help try to drive more of that in, 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 through our context and things like that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like you said, it's understanding the makeup of the organization. So you know, just hearing on its face, some people might think, okay, well, that's Department of you know Social Services. Right. So maybe elaborate a little bit as far as the difference between those services that are available and what your organization yeah. is able to provide. So I get that question all the time. They're like, well, wait a minute. You have a foster care program. Well, does our social services have the same thing? Like, what's the difference? Um, so on the surface, yes, we both provide foster care uh, services to the community. Um, really, the, the difference is, is the support that we're able to provide. Uh, we're able to structure ourselves a little bit different in terms of our staff. So we have uh, less of caseloads for our team. So um, that means our caseworkers can really get to know the families and the kiddos very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also able to provide some supports like support groups just for our families, um, really some unique and not really cookie cutter support that our families would need. Um, we we know and we understand that families all look different. Yeah. Um, and even when they may seem like they're the same, they may have different needs. And so right. we're able to customize our support for all of our families. Um, so we actually, social services is a community partner of ours because the kiddos that come into foster care, that's exactly where they come from, are the departments of social services. Um, so we're not their competitor. Um, right. We're actually a community partner and we work in tandem with them to make sure these kiddos are in safe homes. Well, I love that because I think also another common theme that we're hearing as we're having different organizations on to the podcast is mm-hmm. we're seeing so how there's so much overlap and partnership and collaboration. Yeah. And so you get a better sense of the resources that are out there, mm-hmm. no matter what that looks like. Right. Like you said, you can customize it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. differently. Um, and that's helpful. Everyone's situation isn't the same. It's so, totally awesome. different. <laughs> yep. Love that. So um, so let's talk about if someone was interested, mm-hmm. you know, in being a foster parent, what are the requirements? What would be that first step? So the requirements just on the surface, you first have to be at least 25 years of age. Um, you have to have available space in your home. Um, so at least one available bedroom that's not shared with anybody else. Okay. Um, be able to obviously pass all background checks um, and then commit to attend the training. Um, so that's, I mean, that's pretty much it on the surface. Um, and we, you know, you have to come to an orientation where we give an overview of our program, 
um, talk about, you know, the different uh, aspects of our program, the responsibilities our families will have, um, go into detail about the supports that we provide and what that could look like for different families. And then we walk you through the application process. Um, And so we do all that. Again, it even for someone that's coming from uh, maybe they were a foster parent with social services, you know, our it may look a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. with the Up Center. And so we walk them through that. We are very hands-on in terms of walking our families through. Um, I say we, I, I walk <laughs> our families through that process, um, but really hands-on and, and getting all their questions and concerns uh, answered up front. Well, and I love that you focus on the training part because some people may feel almost overwhelmed or mm-hmm. underqualified. So, you know, speak about the training. Like, is there, you talked about the orientation mm-hmm. that obviously gets you started, but is there training along the way? And like, what does that look like? Yeah. So once someone comes to the orientation and obviously they, you know, say, yes, I want to do this, they would submit their application and then we sign them up or register them for uh, the training that we provide. The training that we offer, um, it's a curriculum that our staff is trained to teach. So oh, we cool. teach it in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, And it goes over all things about, you know, childhood development, brain development, um, trauma, um, Mm -hmm. and how that can look, how that exhibits. Um, And then one of the most important pieces, and people sometimes kind of give me a side eye when I say that's a part of our training, is, you know, how to work as a part of a team. Mm -hmm. Because as a foster parent, as a foster family, that is critical. Um, You're going to be... Um, interfacing with a lot of people from our agency, from social services, therapists, doctors, you know, the court system. And so it is imperative that people know sort of what that looks like and working as a part of a team, um, knowing how to advocate. Um, And so we provide that. It's about a five-week training. Uh, We're still hosting that online so that it's convenient for both our team and the families that are coming through. Um, and then we do an, uh, sort of a web-based portion as well. So that really yeah. creates a foundation for the in-person sessions as well. I'd imagine that's really uh, maybe a mindset shift for a lot of mm-hmm. uh, prospective foster parents who think, okay, I'm going to take ownership of this process. Mm-hmm. And you want that to a degree, but there need to be the checks and balances and there yeah. needs to be that collaboration of the team of people that you listed. So I, I would imagine that's a, mm-hmm. I'm glad you all address that early. And that's, yeah. that's probably in the training is where people have that aha moment that either <laughs> they say, okay, this is not what I thought. Right. right. Um, it may be more than they thought. Um, and that's a good place to find that out. What we don't want to do is that mm-hmm. you go through the entire training, you have a kiddo join your home and then, and then you, realize you realize this is more than I could handle. Um, And so, again, our team is really sort of paying attention to our families. We're talking with them, interviewing them, you know, doing surveys with them to find out sort of where their head is. Um, Because you could have a heart for it, but that doesn't mean that it's a good fit for you. Right. Um, And we sort of walk you through um, through that process. And what about any costs that may be associated with it? There are absolutely no costs at all. No costs. At the (laughs) Up Center, we take care of the cost of the training. Um, you know, the only cost you may have up front is for the background check um, okay. in terms of like your fingerprints. Um, but once you submit that receipt back to us, we reimburse you. Um, but there is no upfront cost to become a foster parent. That's great. At all. You've taken that out of the way if that would be a stumbling block for a prospective parent. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I'm just curious, you, you do this training and it sounds like you've got great structure there. I, I'd be curious to know how, uh, or maybe a little bit just about your matching process, mm-hmm. um, oh, how you question. decide, yeah. you know, Kara would be a great parent for a wild child like me. Or, you know, <laughs> no really, <way>. no <laughs> but 
there's obviously a lot that goes into that. Can you share a little bit? That's important. Yeah. So a lot of people, there's this um, misperception that, you know, you kind of get to meet the kiddos before they join your family um, and that we have some sort of place where people can meet these kids. And that's not the case. Um, Kids come into care all the time, every single day. Um, And so we do a very thorough job of getting to know our families. Um, That's through our home study process. Um, But not just there, I would back it up a little bit. So the moment that someone contacts me and says, I'm interested, I'm getting to know them. Um, If I meet them in person, I'm looking at body language, I'm listening to what they're saying, um, understanding what their motivations are, why they want to do it. And so sort of moving them forward to the home study process, that's where we dig deep and sort of interview them, um, interview, you know, if they have children in the home, you know, talking to them about their parenting style, understanding, you know, what their background was, what's their relationships like. Um, And that's really how we get to know sort of the whole person. Um, And that's what helps us determine what's going to be the best fit for their family. A lot of people may, you know, and one thing we always get is, you know, people will tell us what their parenting style is for um, children that they have at home or children that they've parented. And we always tell them, well, it's going to be completely different right. with foster children. <laughs> um, so what you think you know, forget it. Right. <laughs> None of that may apply, and that's okay. And just sort of giving them that freedom to sort of release that. Um, but, yeah, we, we dig deep and get to know our families. Rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, it's so important. You got to do your due dil- your due diligence. Excuse yeah. me. And we know all of our families. If 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 you tell us the last name of one of our families, we probably could tell you what city they live in, how many kids they have, how many bedrooms, probably where they work. Right. Um, we know them, and we we meet collectively as a team at least once a week um, to just bring everybody up to speed if anything is going on. We know what's going on with their families um, and all that good stuff. So, from a demand perspective. Um, you know, does your need for for, you know, for for foster parents outpace the people that come forward and say, I would like to be a foster parent? Or, a thousand percent. <laughs> well, I figured as much, but right. I just... Yeah, and if you don't have it. numbers today, because I don't think we asked you to prepare anything yeah. like that, but just shooting from the hip, how would you rate, you know, from, from a ratio perspective, what would you say? Gosh, oh, wow. Hmm. It also depends on the time. Depends on the time of year. Um, we've seen things fluctuate. Obviously, pre-pandemic, things were completely right. different. Um, we see sometimes an uptick at the new year sometimes. Um, it's just hard to say. I mean, yeah. you know, I, we were in our team meeting yesterday, and I think the number for um, phone calls for referrals for kiddos for our program, I think we were up to either 40 or 45. Um, and then sort of turning that around to the number of people that have contacted our agency being interested in becoming a foster parent this month may have been maybe 20. Okay. Yeah. And how long has the Up Center been around? Oh, gosh. Over 130 years. Yeah. We're not new to the Hampton Rose area. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Been around for a long, Another one of those hidden treasures. (laughs) A hidden treasure that we don't want to be hidden. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we've been around for a long time. Yeah, we've been doing uh, foster care uh, certified and licensed through uh, the state to do foster care since the mid-1990s and then um, certified to facilitate adoptions from foster care since the early 2000s. So we're not new to the block. 
providing a lot of resources. Yeah. We need to get the word out. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. part of why I'm here. Okay, that's why you're here. I know. But, <laughs> and I get it, but my wheels are turning over yes. here thinking, how can we create even more exposure? This podcast will not do the trick. I wish it could. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is a stepping we are not there. stone. It's, right. it's a part, it's, the jumping point. It's part, well, I was gonna say yeah. it's part of the you know a part of the the plan, right? Yeah. Like it's always multi pronged. Absolutely, I think we gotta talk, Steve. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, lots of follow up. Um, and we've talked a lot about the the foster parents. Like you said, there are so many different programs, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of just sticking to that part, what would you say are either the top three things that maybe, mm-hmm. you know, people need to know about the process or about the organization? Or like earlier you talked about, you know, people think this, but mm-hmm. actually we want to debunk some of those myths maybe too. Yeah. So I'm always trying to like debunk some of those myths. I'm not sure where these myths came <laughs> from. They. Um, they yeah, said. I know they said. Um, but I say. <laughs> um, so a lot of times I get, you know, um, I've never parented before. I can't be a foster parent. Um, I don't have a lot of money. I can't be a foster parent. Um, I'm not married. I can't be a foster parent. I'm an empty nester. I can't be a foster parent. All those types of things. Um, And we tell folks those are absolutely untrue. Um, You know, we have foster parents that have been with us and are with us currently that come from all different types of backgrounds. Um, We have uh, bus drivers, we have teachers, um, doctors, so all different types of backgrounds. Um, We have uh, single, married, divorced, widowed, grandparents. Um, And so we tell folks, it's like, you know, if it's something that you're thinking about, you know, no matter what your situation is, um, just talk to us. Um, And we can let you know um, based on the requirements if it's something that you're eligible for. Is there... You know, for for someone that might come forward and say, I feel like I've got financial limitations mm-hmm. that keep me from doing this, mm-hmm. otherwise I would be all in. Is there support that foster parents receive from the state or anything like that? So, yes. So a little bit sort of before that, as a part of the application process, we have all of our applicants complete a household budget worksheet. And that really outlines sort of their income, um, what their expenses are. There's no magic number that we're looking for. We're just trying to make sure that you can maintain your household as it is and then adding any additional um, right. children that would join your family. Um, but our our families do get paid to be foster parents. Um, but we also are trying to make sure that people aren't trying to be foster parents strictly for a financial right. gain as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and trying to, to weed those folks I'm out. I'm sure that's there, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hot button item. Um, well, like you said, going back to the motivation. Right? Absolutely. And usually um, I, I go off my gut a lot and I can tell, usually based on the questions that they ask, I can tell um, what their true motivations are. Um, and even if it's, you know, some sort of disconnect in the in the beginning, once we get that household budget worksheet, we can kind of tell. But, um, you know, even if you think your, you know, income is limited in some way, um, the only caveat we have to that is if you are receiving any um, financial assistance through like federal or state government programs, um, that would sort of um, make you ineligible. For if, further assistance. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Um, but if you're not receiving any of those and you think, oh my gosh, well, I have limited income, but I kind of want to do this. Um then still reach out. And a lot of times, even if that is the case, um, we have other programs that people can give to and support mm-hmm. to through our agency. So especially our mentoring program as well. So 
Is the support that's available sufficient to break through that barrier for those folks? Yeah, it is, but it's not meant to really be... It's really there to support the children that they're caring right. for, not necessarily the household in Understood. its entirety. Understood. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm glad to hear that what the state has put forward mm-hmm. for that is sufficient to help bridge the gap. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of it, uh, well, not a lot of it, for our agency, it all depends on the needs of that child. Um, mm-hmm. That's absolutely tied to how much those families get. So when those kiddos come into care, Social services does an assessment to figure out what their needs are, the levels of their needs. And then uh, they sort of send us over a score and we calculate that into dollars and that's what's sent to our foster families. Yeah. And, you know, we focused a lot on the foster care and the adoption aspects, but uh, I know you have the therapeutic services as well. Mm -hmm. Is that similarly, you know, are the families receiving um, or are there supplemental funding available to help the families receive those services? Yeah, so all of all of um, the kiddos that enter into foster care throughout the state of Virginia automatically qualify for Medicaid. Okay. Um, and Medicaid will typically cover um, those uh, outpatient therapy sessions um, depending on, you know, what type of therapy, age appropriate, if it's play therapy, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, because we want to make sure that they're getting um, assistance for the whole person. Right. Not just a home. Right. <laughs> Making sure be. that they, they're working through whatever traumas that they have faced, whatever those circumstances are. Um, if it's age appropriate, making sure they're getting those needs. Um, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, all of the time getting those services through our agency. We do, you know, Medicaid will contract with other agencies uh, for those services, but we do make sure all of our kiddos are taken care of in the whole person sense. You're getting them that comprehensive solution they mm-hmm. need. Absolutely. That's super helpful. What would speaking of needs, what would you say is probably the biggest need of the up center? And like how can how can, you know, people our listeners, people in the mm-hmm. community, how can they support what you guys are doing? We need foster parents. Yeah. <laughs> we Sounds need, like it. Right, yeah, right. we need foster parents. Um, there is a dire need for foster parents. Um, I tally up our numbers um from month to month. And I want to say um, in the last couple months, we've turned away at least 50 kiddos mm. that were in need of a foster home, that we didn't have a home for them. There's a significant need for families or foster parents that are willing to accept um, the older kiddos, so 10 and up, um, as well as sibling groups. So you can keep them together. Yeah. Um, if it's appropriate, that's always our goal is to keep yeah. those kiddos together. They thrive better when they're with their siblings. Um, And so we want to make sure that they are able to have that. But, yeah, I'm foster parents. Anytime anybody asks me that, I'm like, we need foster parents Um, to be able to fill that gap so that we can take on, you know, and be able to provide some nurturing homes for those kids. So let's talk impact. If they're not able to be placed and you're not able to, uh, you know, provide a service to them, what next for those for those kiddos? So typically, if if we get a referral from social services, we're not the only agency that's receiving that referral. Okay. Um, I want to say there are, can't remember the number, but there are other um, private foster care agencies in our community. So typically, they're not going to send one referral to one agency. They're going right. to send it to multiple to kind of see where it sticks and where it lands. Um, but if none of us can sort of place that child, oftentimes these kids are staying the night, at least one night, could be more um, in an emergency room, could be in a residential facility. Um, we've seen them um, staying the night or staying nights in hotels with caseworkers. 
just trying to find placement for these kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a dire situation that I think a lot of people don't see. Um, if you're not in it, right? You yeah. you're kind of blind to it. You don't see it. Um, it's an awareness issue yeah. for sure. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, that's where those kids are. You know, they've been pulled out of school. They've been, you know, pulled out of their homes. And everybody is trying to just find a safe place for them to land. But sometimes that doesn't work out the way we want it to and the way it needs to. And that's where those kids go, unfortunately, sometimes. And how long are they in those shorter? You know, that is a definite short-term solution. Absolutely. You can't carry on like that. But mm-hmm. do you have any data or idea of how long those kids are in those short-term solutions? Um, we know of one that has been that was in a hotel for about a good seven days. Hmm. Um, and obviously, you think about the situation where the kid is there, um, but that also means the caseworker is there too because they right. can't be there by themselves. Sometimes we have heard of situations where um, the kid is spending the night at the social services office with the caseworker. And is that until you subsequently find a foster parent that steps forward or? You know, are they actively searching during that time for a family member, maybe a distant family member? What, yeah. what are the solutions to get them out of that? All of the above. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> all probably of the all above. of it. Yeah. So when they, you know, when they're entering into care um, and even while um, the kids are in foster care, uh, social services is always actively looking for viable options. We always want kiddos to be with their families. We want families to be whole. Um, a lot of people think that that's not what we do. That the foster care system doesn't want families to be whole, that we're there to kind of rip children out of their family. And that's not what we're here to do. And so, you know, social services is always looking for viable options. Um, Sometimes that's not possible. And so they do enter into foster care, um, unfortunately. And the goal is, the number one goal for these kids is reunification for them to return home. Yeah, get back with their family. Yeah, it's not for them to ultimately be adopted. If that happens then, you know, then we move in that way. Um, But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for these kiddos to have a safe, soft place, nurturing place to land um, while their family, you know, does the work that they need to do and then for them to return home to a safe place. That's good. Yeah. You spoke earlier, like obviously they're the requirements Mm -hmm. and then it sounds like a diverse background of people that, you know, so demographics doesn't necessarily factor into it. But like, what are the attributes or traits of, I would imagine that there's a trend across the ideal candidate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of the things I look at is that because it is short term, whether it's short, short, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of nights or short, <laughs> you know, months, but it's short term because the goal is to reunify. Yeah. So it has to be someone that can care and love and go through all the training, mm-hmm. but also release, mm-hmm. you know, when it's appropriate. So yeah. what would you say are the traits of that ideal candidate for a foster parent? First and foremost, I would probably say flexibility. Um, because today may not look like tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you have to be able to be okay with that. Um, that understanding that, you know, today may be a good day for that kid, and tomorrow may not be, um, for some reason that we may not understand. Um, so being flexible, I think sort of piggybacking on what you said, just understanding, yes, we want you to care for them. Um, I get asked all the time, it's like, oh, well, I'm so afraid I'm going to get attached. And we're like, but then you're the person that needs to foster. It doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, attach to these kids. Um, Because once you attach, that means you care, you have compassion, Mm -hmm. you will share your love for them. Um, So that's exactly the type of people that we're looking for. Um, But yeah, to be able to love them, 
care for them, support them, nurture them, but also understanding that they could go home. And we don't know when they could go home. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had kiddos in our program for five days, 30 days, over two years. And so, you know, it, it looks different for every child. Well, I know most of the resources and support is for the children. That's the priority. But is there any, not necessarily training, but resources or therapy or anything for the foster parents as they're mm-hmm. dealing with that, you know? Yeah. And we we really, you know, we honor that as a team um, through our agency. We honor that. We know that and we recognize that when that child reunifies with their family, that's a loss for the foster parents. So we give them that time to grieve to sort of handle that, deal with that. Most of our families are really good at saying, you know, hey, we just need some time. Mm-hmm. We'll circle back. And we have some that say, ooh, this is a little harder than we thought. Right. Yeah. Um, and we, what we do as a team, we really compile, you know, supports and services for them to go out. And it doesn't have to be with our agency, but finding, you know, um, your supports in the community, you know, putting them together with other families in our agency that have, you know, dealt with the same thing before. Like they get it. Yeah. Because yeah. um, we can we can talk to you from a professional standpoint, but it's nothing like talking to somebody that's been through it. And just really making sure that they have what they need um, to be able to bounce back and really just move through that. Because it's difficult. I bet they move forward with a lot of worry. You know, they, they, they do. But we also have some families that fostered and kiddos went home and they have beautiful relationships with the birth parents. So Good. it's amazing. It's an expanded family. It is. Yeah. And that's what we tell families that, you know, you're not a substitute for biological parents. You're there to fill in the gaps and you're just an extension. You're an extension of that child support system and their family. You know, to go back to impact and how you talk about demand and things like that in this mm-hmm. area, I'm wondering, do you know how Hampton Roads compares to other MSAs, other um, regional communities when thinking about success rates, thinking about um, service provided? Do, would you say that the Up Center and the other foster programs in the community have a better impact than some of our neighbors and peers? Um, How would you rate Hampton Roads as a community that supports Mm -hmm. foster needs versus other communities near us? Um, I I read an article not too long ago, and I think Virginia was pretty low on that that (laughs) list, Um, just because of of the primarily the funding that's put towards foster care and not a whole lot of focus on the intervention or the prevention piece to prevent these children from coming into foster care. Um, So there's always a lot of focus on, okay, you know, this child is in foster care now, let's get some services, let's do this. But there's a disconnect. Um, And unfortunately, it's kind of hard to to pinpoint sort of where that prevention needs to happen um, because you don't know it unless you're looking for it um, or unless you have eyes on it. Um, especially with, you know, when you talk about children entering into foster care, oftentimes we see teachers that they're mandated reporters. So they're the ones that may see the kiddos in class with a bruise or the child may say something um, to trigger, you know, some sort of reporting. But really focusing on the prevention piece is what's important. And, and it looks like, you know, Virginia as a whole is kind of lacking. Maybe a little more reactive than proactive. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a challenge because it's hard to you know, what is the fix? Is there a fix? And where, you know, is it a program? Is it a service? You know, what does that look like? And I think 
I think there's a lot of, you know, amazing organizations that are trying to do that work in the community. Mm. But I also think there's not a sort of, you know, one fix that's going to fix. Well, you mentioned earlier the needs are so different from yeah. child to child. So, you know, what may help prevent in one scenario, right. that's not even a factor in another scenario. Right. So that makes And I think sense. it's a challenge to customize. I mean... Once you start customizing things, it gets a little expensive, you know, because you've got to add more services, more people, more programs. You have to be able to identify those types of things and and what that could look like. Um, And so it's it's a challenge. It is it is difficult. Are there networking and educational opportunities available to you all with some of your peers in other states that do it well or, you know, and not saying you don't do the program well, but mm-hmm. um, in other states where maybe the states are ranked higher in their um, support of your kind of programming? So there are. I mean, there's different uh, organizations nationally um, that do some things that allow us to sort of come together and sort of, you know, hear about best practices. Um, and so, but I think sometimes that in order to implement those things, those things are bigger than us. <laughs> And so, you know, you've got to have some folks around the table to say, okay, this is this is what the issues are um, and really be ready to take charge and sort of move forward with those. I know I talk to, you know, my peers that are doing recruitment in our community here in Hampton Roads. Uh, we're all having the same challenges. You know, just finding foster parents is a, you know, significant challenge. And so, we, you know, we do a little bit of sort of bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, but on the sort of national level, it's a little bit of a challenge to do that. So, Gotcha. Yeah. Wheels are turning again. How do we uh, yeah. get these resources in? <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is the awareness. Like a lot of the it things is. that, you know, we've and we've had previous conversations before yeah. the podcast, but like, you know, even the information that you're sharing is just stuff that we don't know that's mm-hmm. happening in our communities. And, you know, some listeners might think, well, y'all are real estate, you know, what is, what's the connection? Right. But it's community, it's housing, like Absolutely. it's all of that mixed in together. And and that's a need that, like you say, you know, there there's a need for more people that can kind of help stand in that gap until the big picture things are worked mm-hmm. out or the preventative me- measures are worked out. Absolutely. Um, and that connection is, is important. You know, so and you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely, that's the hard part. Absolutely, <laughs> so definitely awareness, yes. but probably other other things as well. Yeah. So speaking of which, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you've shared so much good information, and hopefully, the listeners have gotten a, a good sense of the resources that yeah. you have. But if they want to get more information, <laughs> we'd love to be able to share with them how they can connect with you, the organization, absolutely. you know, social media, all the things. So on social media, you just look up the Up Center. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all the things, all the things. Um, as well as YouTube. <laughs> and then our website is theupcenter.org. You can find information about all of our programs, um, but specifically our foster care and adoption program. Uh, we host information sessions or orientations. Um, you can find that schedule there. Um, you can see all of the folks on our team. Um, And really here, um, we have some videos on there where you can really hear some stories about uh, some of the kiddos in our program and just sort of connect those dots and, you know, so you can understand what really the impact is. So I love it. I love it. You have always had a heart for people in the community. So I love seeing you (laughs) thrive in this role. They have a really great advocate on their team. Thank you. Definitely. (laughs) Thank you. And thanks for being with us today. And telling everybody about the Up Center Absolutely. about thanks the work for you're doing. Me. This is grateful. Hey, thanks for listening and getting connected. This podcast is provided by Abbott Realty. 
serving Hampton Roads in real estate since 1946. Please stay connected with us on social at Abbott Realty. See you next time.